Sir Ronald Kalinsky, chairman of the board of Kalinsky Industries, walked across the impressive marble lobby of Kalinsky House at a leisurely pace. Tall, slender, a man of dominating presence, he had black wavy hair, heavily frosted with white, and a saturnine face. He had inherited the eyes of his father David and his grandmother Janessa Kalinsky. They were of the brightest cornflower blue and seemed all the more startling because of his weather-beaten complexion. Renowned for never appearing ruffled or dishevelled, no matter what the circumstances, he was always perfectly groomed and elegantly attired. Although he was almost 70, he was in such robust health and was so vigorous for his age, he looked like a much younger man. He pushed through the swing doors and stepped out into the street. Earlier that morning, he had contemplated walking to the Connaught Hotel. Now he was relieved he had changed his mind and had ordered his car up from the garage. It was sizzling out here and oppressive, hardly the kind of weather for sauntering through the busy streets of Mayfair. The car pulled away from the curb and he settled back against the seat and stared absently ahead. He was looking forward to lunching with Paula and Michael. He had not seen her for several weeks and his son had been in New York for over two months and he had missed them both in different ways. His son was his good right hand, his alter ego, his heir apparent, and his favourite. He loved his younger son, Mark, very much, but Michael had a special hold on his heart. As for Paula, she was the daughter he had never had. She was the smartest woman he had ever known, except for Emma, and he appreciated her sharp and clever mind, her quickness, her business acumen. But she could also be very female at times, and he missed her femininity as much as he relished his role as her sounding board and, on occasion, her advisor. He had a lot of admiration for Paula. She was a good mother as well as a successful executive. Hers was a hard road, and she trod it most adroitly, rarely ever stumbled. The Rolls-Royce came to a sudden stop in Carlos Place. Sir Ronald shook off his thoughts as the uniformed doorman outside the Connaught Hotel stepped up to the car, opened the door for him, helped him alight. In the hotel dining room, after he had ordered a dry sherry, he took a sip of the iced water the waiter had placed before him, then sat back to wait for Paula and Michael. Sir Ronald raised his glass. He looked directly at Paula. To the memory of your grandmother... To Emma, Michael said. Paula smiled at them both. Yes, to Grandy. They clinked their glasses, sipped their drinks. She'd be so proud of you, my dear, Sir Ronald said. You've never let her down, and you've held her dream wonderfully well. I hope so, Uncle Ronnie. I've certainly endeavoured to guard everything she built and make it stronger. And you have, Sir Ronald said, regarding her warmly. You're as much of a genius at retailing as Emma ever was. You've displayed a great deal of vision over the years, and I can only commend you on everything you've done with the stores. Sir Ronald settled back in his chair. One of the reasons I invited myself to lunch is to seek your advice, my dear. About Alexander. Do you think Sandy would sell Lady Hamilton clothes to Kalinsky Industries? This was the last thing Paula had expected to hear, and she was taken aback. She stared at Sir Ronald without speaking for a moment. I'm quite sure he wouldn't, 
she said at last in a surprised voice. That division is far too important to Hart Enterprises, and to Hart Stores, for that matter. Yes, it has great value to Sandy, and to you too, of course, since the Lady Hamilton line is made exclusively for Hart's, Sir Ronald said. Michael interjected, He may want to unload it, Paula, for the right price and to the right people. Let's face it, Sandy has been terribly overburdened ever since that family debacle when he fired Jonathan and Sarah. He and Emily really have their hands full, and they have to work awfully hard running heart enterprises. Oh, I don't know, she cut in swiftly. They seem to manage quite well, Michael. In any case, we'd be prepared to pay top money for that division, Michael added, determined to get his point across. I'm sure you would. Paula replied, and I'm just as sure Sandy wouldn't even consider it, no matter what you offered. She looked from the younger Kalinsky to the older, rapidly and with quickening interest. Why do you want to buy Lady Hamilton clothes, Uncle Ronnie? We'd like to have our own women's fashion division, Sir Ronald explained, and to supply your stores with women's ready-to-wear in much the same way we supply your men's clothing, and to sell to your boutiques in the hotels. Just as importantly, we wish to start and to build up a strong export line. Obviously, we wouldn't sell the women's fashions in countries where you own retail stores, Michael pointed out. Oh, I know you'd never do anything to damage my business. That goes without saying, Paula said. And I can see why you'd like the acquisition, Uncle Ronnie. It makes a lot of sense. She glanced at Michael. But you know how conservative Sandy is and bound by tradition. Those are just two of the reasons Grandy gave him control of Hart Enterprises. She knew it would be safe in his hands because he would never do anything to weaken its basic structure, such as selling off a very, very profitable division. Why don't you simply start your own women's clothing division? Certainly you've got all the necessary resources. We thought of that, my dear, Sir Ronald admitted. But, quite frankly, we'd prefer to buy a well-established brand... So much easier, you know, and it would save us an enormous amount of time and money, of course, in advertising and promoting a new product. I'm interested in Lady Hamilton Clothes because it was founded by Emma and my father all those years ago. He had a soft spot for the company long after he sold his shares to your grandmother, and so do I. I must admit I do feel rather sentimental about it. Sir Ronald dabbed his mouth with his napkin and ventured... I'd like to pose a hypothetical question, Paula. Let us suppose that Alexander did want to sell Lady Hamilton, was anxious to do so, in fact. Could he? Or would he have to go to the other shareholders, get their agreement? Oh, no. There's only Emily, and she would go along with anything her brother wanted to do. She always has, you know. Puzzlement flickered in Sir Ronald's eyes, and he leaned back in his chair, regarding Paula thoughtfully. After a second, he said slowly, Only Emily. But surely you told me several years ago that Sarah and Jonathan still owned their shares in Hart Enterprises, even though they were thrown out of the company because of their shoddy behaviour. That's perfectly true. They do. They draw their dividends, receive the company reports and balance sheets, but they have no power whatsoever. But then, neither does Emily, now that I think about it. My grandmother left 52% of Hart Enterprises to Sandy, 
The remaining 48% was split three ways between Emily, Jonathan and Sarah, who each received 16%. As chairman of the board and majority stockholder, Sandy can do virtually anything he wishes in the company, or with it, for that matter. This is the way Grandy set it up. While she wanted all four of them to draw income from the company, she knew Sandy must have absolute power to prevent any bickering between the four cousins. She felt Sandy had earned and also deserved the bulk of the shares in her privately owned company. She gave total control to him because she knew that he would always abide by her wishes. Sir Ronald never failed to be impressed by the late Emma Hart's clever strategy. He said, As usual, Emma was shrewd and most prudent, I might add. Certainly Sandy has guided Hart Enterprises through some rough periods and done admirably well in the past few years. Quickly, Michael said, Look, Paula, I know you're adamant about Sandy not being interested in selling, and perhaps you're right. But you wouldn't object if Dad and I did have a word with him, would you? No, of course not. There's no harm in letting Alexander know about your interest in the division. Michael sipped his wine, and his light blue eyes grew thoughtful. And after a moment he asked, By the way, just out of curiosity, is Sarah Lowther still married to that French painter? Or don't you hear anything about her anymore? Obviously not directly, since I kicked her out of the family along with Jonathan, Paula said, the gaiety on her face instantly fading. But there was a piece on Yves Pascal in a French magazine about six months ago. Amongst the many photographs was one of Sarah and Eve and their five-year-old daughter, Chloe. Seemingly, they live in Mougins, in the Alpes Maritime. They own an old farmhouse. That's where he has his studio. He's become very big, immensely successful. Michael said, he's a damn good painter, actually, although his work's not my cup of tea. And talking of Sarah, whatever happened to her partner in crime, Jonathan Ainsley? Is he still lurking in the Far East? I believe so, but not even Sandy knows for sure. Friends of Emily's reported seeing him in Hong Kong and then Singapore on another occasion. Jonathan's dividends and the balance sheets of Hart Enterprises go to a firm of accountants here in London who handle his business seemingly. She made a sour face. Just as long as he doesn't show up in England, that's all that matters to me. As Emma would have said, good riddance to bad rubbish. Why the sudden preoccupation with Jonathan, anyway? I don't know. I haven't thought about him in years. And now, unexpectedly, I'm riddled with curiosity. I'm not. Despite the warmth of the Connaught dining room, Paula shivered. She had never forgotten the last words Jonathan had spoken to her. I'll get you for this, Paula Fairley. Sebastian and I will bloody well get you, he had screamed, shaking his fist at her in the most ridiculous way, like the villain in a Victorian novel. Well, Sebastian Cross could not get her since he was dead. But Jonathan would if he could. Sometimes she had nightmares about her cousin, nightmares in which he did her terrible harm. He was certainly capable of it, capable of almost anything. She knew that from their childhood. Once, a few years ago, she had confided her fears to Sandy, who had laughed and had told her to dismiss Jonathan from her mind. Sandy had reminded her that Jonathan was a bully, and like all bullies, a coward. 
This was true. Nevertheless, she had never been able to expunge the memory of the day Sandy had fired him. It was only too easy to recall the baleful look in Jonathan's eyes, the mask of hatred contorting his face. And instinctively, ever since then, she had known he would always remain her enemy until the day they buried him. Ten years had passed, and she had not set eyes on him again. None of them had, in fact. And yet, deep down inside her was this small kernel of fear.